So from Acts chapter 2, verses 37 to 41, and is on page 1094. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all, all whom the Lord God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptised, and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. Good evening. Just pray in the Lord that the words that I have, the words that we may share, and the words that we may hear will strengthen us in our faith and in following you every day. Amen. So, just five verses. This sermon could be over really quickly. On the other hand, I suggest we wait and see. Acts 2 is a classic bit of reporting by Luke. And the structure allows us to familiarise ourselves with what's come before and lead us into why these verses are so important. The main event of the chapter, in verses 1 to 4, was of the apostles being gathered together and filled with the Holy Spirit, each of them speaking in other tongues as prompted by the Spirit. The next report, in verses 5 to 13, was of the crowd's reaction, amazement, astonishment with those from other geographical areas hearing the spreading of the gospel in their own language. Their two key responses were, what does this mean? Or they're drunk. Luke then gives us a theological interpretation of events in Peter's address to the crowd. They're not drunk. This was what was prophesied by Joel. And afterwards I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And that was Joel 2, 28 and 29. Now he talks about Jesus crucified and killed by you, the audience of Jews, with the help of lawless men. A possible reference to the Romans. Then he goes back to the scriptures and quotes David and says that David spoke of Jesus in Psalm 16, verses 8 to 10. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. Nor will you let your faithful one see decay. David died and was buried. Jesus died and was buried. And then there was the resurrection and finally the exaltation to the right hand of God. Now, it's particularly worth noting with the ascension how important it was. His departure from the earth 
was an essential precondition for the arrival of the Holy Spirit. In John 16, verse 7, it says, But very truly, I tell you, it's for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And finally, in this recap, we reach verse 36, immediately preceding this evening's passage. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah, a statement of the Lordship of Christ, Jesus as Son of God. In tonight's passage, Luke then returns to reporting the reaction of the crowd, which is very much along the lines of, what should we do? What should we do? Peter's words have had a real impact on those listening. They want to know, what shall we do? And this is the prompt for Peter to spell out what is necessary for salvation, to be saved from this corrupt generation. And his four-stage plan is as relevant for us today as it was for the crowd then. The plan is this. Firstly, repent. Secondly, be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, receive forgiveness. Finally, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Simple. Now, a few details before continuing with the four-point plan. According to verses 9 to 11, this crowd included Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. Yet Peter addresses his earlier sermon to fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem. Later in verses 22 and 29, he refers to fellow Israelites, listen to this. Does that mean that the promises are intended for a closed group? In tonight's reading, he states the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call, which sounds like, hopefully, a much broader group. And as for those who are far off, it could either be geographically or in a lack of belief. But here is an opportunity for us, too, to join in with this group of believers. This point here is considered often as the beginning of the wider church, separate from the temple and Judaism. And the basic requirements for for the membership of this continuing group haven't changed in 2,000 years. Repent, be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ, receive forgiveness, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what do we have to do? Repent. In the Old Testament, this isn't a very often used term. And when it is, the general meaning is turning away from evil ways. 
the word becomes much more frequently used in the New Testament, and I would argue it has the same meaning. In this passage, I think it refers to saving yourself from the corrupt generation. Society in general at the time was troubled. There were occupying Romans, a corrupt government, local rulers and church officials concerned with maintaining their own position. The question is, would those who heard choose a different direction? And for us, whether we would be aligned with them and the call to change direction and follow Jesus. And we can also consider whether this applies individually, fellow Jews, or as a nation, or as a community group, Israelites, as Peter addressed his earlier comments. The world seems to be continuously in all times, heading straight on towards some disaster or another. Jesus is continually off to one side, beckoning, come here, follow me. Do we turn, individually or as a nation, to him? Or do we choose to head straight on towards the disaster and calamity that's coming? If we choose to change direction and head for him, then that, in one way, is repentance. It is turning away from the evil ways of the world, turning to the way of Jesus. Now, you may hear other interpretations of repentance. Some may state that it requires a compilation of a full confession and a catalogue of personal sin. Some may suggest that one needs to agree with a set of doctrinal statements of belief before being able to turn. Um, In my opinion, not so. But does that mean that I don't accept those who have a different understanding of the intention of these words? No. No. As a student years ago in the 70s, some of the groups I associated with would from time to time share around the group, stating, calling out loud, the date and time of their coming to faith. Now, are there any of you here tonight who could give a date and time of coming to faith the moment that you found Jesus or made that decision? A hand or two. Now, my challenge was that I grew up in a Christian family. I don't know the time when I didn't believe. I do know that by the age of 15, I had a personal faith. Should that preclude me from being a Christian? Some of those in the group that I was amongst felt that that was so. If you didn't have a date and time, you couldn't join the gang. So... In terms of my experience of growing up in a church family and not having a date and a time, is there anyone here who has a similar experience to me, not knowing a date and time, but knowing that they grew in faith? Yeah, a goodly number. So, but whichever route, however we have got to our faith, doesn't make our way the only way 
or negate anyone else's experience of coming to faith. Moving on from the intention to turn away from the previous life and head towards Jesus, Peter asks that we be baptized in the name of Jesus. In in these circumstances, in, in the reading we've just read, it was an immediate action. In verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized that day. No baptism classes, no requirements. It was straight off. There is no definition of baptism here. Common practice was total immersion in the river. So does that exclude our Anglican baptism at the font? And what about infant baptism? It wasn't uncommon at the time for a whole household to be baptised. There are examples in Acts 16 and in 1 Corinthians. And, and many theologians accept this, but some, in some denominations, restrict baptism to adults or to total immersion. My point is that it's not the exact process, but rather the act of baptism as a witness to repentance and looking to follow Christ which is important. Next, forgiveness. Another heading that could lead to a whole sermon series in its own right. We deserve the results of our sin, yet God, in his mercy, forgives our sins. And this links to the Old Testament view of repenting and escaping a sentence for wrongdoing. Having repented and been baptised, we now have forgiveness from God, which we do not deserve, but which he is gracious to give. There's an intertwining going on between the four steps as the forgiveness may be in response to our repentance or our detailed catalogue of wrongdoings or the result of the prompting of the Holy Spirit, which comes a little later in this sermon. The result is the same. The removal from our current account of the debts due because of our sin taken on by Jesus on the cross. And the final point, the gift of the Holy Spirit. All those who believe in Jesus Christ as their saviour receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the comforter. At the start of Acts 2, there's a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit at work, enabling the apostles to speak in foreign languages. Elsewhere in the Bible, the Holy Spirit gives the gift of tongues for personal communication with God. In certain times and places, the Holy Spirit gives miracles of healing and deliverance. Not all of us may choose or receive such gifts, but we do receive the Holy Spirit. The importance of this final step is spelt out as the apostles travel establishing the earlier congregations. In Caesarea, in Acts 10, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptised with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. In Samaria, in Acts 8, when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they may receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. And Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit In Ephesus, Paul says, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. And I use the word comforter. I I liked the idea of the Holy Spirit, the comforter. But comforting has changed its meaning over the years. On the Bayer Tapestry, King Harold is shown comforting his troops with a pitchfork, prodding them from behind into action. The Holy Spirit may encourage us in this way. Maybe with a metaphorical pitchfork. The Holy Spirit may prompt us to repent of specific sins. As I mentioned earlier, when we read the Bible, looking at ink on paper, representing words translated into English, trying to communicate ideas sometimes for which there's no direct translation, I believe it's the Holy Spirit at work in us which makes those written words become the living word of God, communicating to our spirit. In challenging times, troubled times, times of upset, it can be the Holy Spirit which strengthens us or gives us words to pray or to say to support one another in troubles. Is there one recipe for the work of the Holy Spirit in any one person's life? No. Is the Holy Spirit alive and at work today? Yes. The Holy Spirit is given by God to all who believe. And our action is to receive it and to ask for those gifts from God which we would receive. It's a bit like receiving presents. We can receive them, but unless we accept them, unwrap them, and look at what's inside, we cannot actually use them. And in each of us, as we live out our lives in faith, we would expect to see the fruits of the Holy Spirit Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. So, that's been a whistle-stop tour through the fourfold message from Peter. Repent, be baptized, be forgiven, receive the Holy Spirit. At each stage, there are alternatives in understandings, leading to differences in doctrines, practice, or our own experiences. We each have our ways. Each congregation or community may have its own ways. Are they right? Are they the only way? Talking with my colleagues on fellow students on the training course for not being a licensed lay minister is fascinating. Talking to others from different backgrounds, different understandings, different ideas, some of which are challenging, some of which I wouldn't agree with. It hasn't made me lose my faith. Instead, it's made me think through what I believe and why. I'm challenged by ideas, but thankfully I'm not called to be the judge of any individual or of their faith. Similarly, talking with a friend recently who doesn't have a Christian faith and discussing some of the areas where there are alternative theological ideas, they said they wish they'd had such a conversation years ago because they may have approached faith with an open mind rather than dismissing it out of hand. Have the points I've raised here tonight represented some of your experiences? Are there aspects of your responses to this fourfold plan that you could share? Are there any questions you'd like to raise? 
I'd like to encourage you for five minutes to talk with those around you, to find yourself in a small group. And if you've got questions that you'd like to to raise with Edward or myself or would like to come and talk with either of us or with Josh, we're, we're around here as well. So you're very welcome to come and talk to us. But having gone through this fourfold plan, with all of us having our own experience of coming to faith and living in faith, I think that we can all learn from each other, listening in love, hearing each other in love, validating each other as members of the community. So for a short period now, I will conclude with a time of prayer in five minutes now. But just chat through your experience of coming to faith and living in faith with those around you, please. So if I can finish with a prayer... Heavenly Father, may each of us be strengthened to continue in turning to Jesus as he calls to us. May we who are members of your body, the church, be accepting and supporting of those with different backgrounds and experiences to our own. May we learn to listen to others and express our views clearly and with love. And we pray for our communities, whether that's work around the village, the city, the county, that those we come into contact with will understand something of our faith and our intention to work in God's strength for the benefit of the community and the individuals around us. May each of us consider this evening and through the coming week our own path to repent, our baptism in the name of Jesus the forgiveness of God the Father, and strengthening by the power of the Holy Spirit. In each step, and wherever we are in our faith, may we be blessed, strengthened, and encouraged by God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.